0: Coming to you live from an undisclosed location south of the Mason-Dixon line, this is Pearl Snap Tactical. Hello and welcome to Pearl Snap Tactical, where former intelligence and special operations professionals discuss everything from current domestic conflicts to tactical training and gear. Everything you need to better protect yourself and your loved ones. Like we say around here, it's warrior culture with a little bit of a southern twang. I'm your host, Mark, and let's kick off our first episode by asking a question. Do you feel like the America you live in now is different than the one you grew up with. In the span of one generation, words like active shooter, lone wolf terrorist, IEDs, have become common everyday terms. And on top of that, we've dealt with a pandemic in the last year, unprecedented lockdowns, disruptions to the supply chain. Anybody remember the toilet paper shortage? Riots, ammo shortages, just, you know, and that's just off the top of my head. So regardless of whoever is in the White House, the upheaval and the friction, the uncertainty, it's far from over. So the question is, what does the future hold and how should we prepare ourselves to face it? And as we look at this problem, I'd like to share with you a story from antiquity that I think is perfect for a moment like this. And it's the story of the Barrettists. Now, Baradus is a Latin term, it means to roar, Uh, it comes like an elephant trumpet is really what it means literally, and it comes to us from the 4th century AD. So unlike the early Greek armies who marched to the cadence of music, it was the Roman custom to march in silence. Before the battle, the Romans would unleash a roar in unison, striking fear into their enemy. This war cry was called the Baratus. We don't know what it sounded like, but the historian Tacitus tells us how it was used. It would begin with a low, harsh, intermittent roar. The legionaries would hold their shields up above of, uh, to their mouth, and the reverberating sound would swell and echo into a deafening crescendo. It was like waves smashing into a rocky shore. They actually took it from the Germanic tribes that they had been warring with at the empire's borders in Germania, the adoption of the Baradus was the result of a bottom of bottom up changes within the ranks that spread throughout the entire army. It wasn't really the result of some general sitting on his horse on top of the hill saying, "Hey, we need, we need to do this, guys." It was the result of the the foot soldier, the legionnaire. The guy in the trenches, side by side, standing with his buddy, deciding to adopt this. And that, that is the spirit that we need more today, uh, that we need today more than ever. The answer's got to come from us. We can't outsource our security to others. We can't look to someone in Washington, D.C. to help us or our local governments or anyone. We, we are it. We, you are your first responder, and security-minded citizens need to be trained. They need to develop this cons, this uh, mindset. If and stand together, if we're going to stop these emerging threats. So together, you, me, we are the Baratists. In the coming weeks, we're going to push out information to you that will help you better protect yourself and your family and become an asset to your community. But the journey begins at home. It's in our hearts and minds where we're going to start first. So by pulling lessons from our past, the legends and myths of our ancestors and the stories of uh, contemporary real-life heroes, we're going to delve into the psyche of the warrior for lessons that will help us build discipline, performance, and success in our lives as we move forward together. So what you can expect from us in terms of going forward. And Before I do that, I, want to, I need to give a shout out to our sponsor. This podcast is sponsored by Baratus Defense which offers our training company, which offers training in tactical firearms, combatives, counterterrorism, and security consulting. Our courses are designed to quickly move you from the basic to advanced levels and help you succeed regardless of your background. Our team of mobile instructors can go anywhere to bring you the training and the knowledge you need to accomplish your goal or mission. We've trained units from the Department of Defense, Department of Justice, the Fortune 500, and security-minded citizens all across the country. We know how to design and deliver dynamic and practical training solutions tailored to fit your needs. For more information, go to www.baratisdefense.com. Okay, so from week to week as we push these episodes out, we'll uh, just like we did in this one, we'll probably open up with an intel brief either from myself or a co-host, similar to what you just heard. And then we'll take uh, some, do a little bit of Q and A uh, from our listeners, like these that were sent in uh, just this last week. And we start with Jacob from the Free State of Kansas. Jacob wants to know. Let me read this. He uh, has a question about improvised weapons and which ones we we prefer. So, for those of you who don't know. Uh, An improvised weapon, this is just my definition offhand, would be an object or a tool whose primary purpose is other than that of being used as a weapon. So, um, a tactical flashlight, a a hammer, a screwdriver. I mean, these are things that you would, you know, when you buy a hammer at, at the hardware store, you're usually using it for a construction project, not to bash somebody's head in. So... But you can bash somebody's head in if you if you need to defensively, of course. And so uh, a lot of times, too, when I think about improvised weapon, this is just where my brain goes to, I think in terms of like things within my environment. So I, I'll think of a rock uh, laying on the ground or even a handful of dust or dirt that you could be thrown into somebody's eyes to blind them uh, temporarily, yeah, those types of things. But uh, so the, the, it's pretty. It's a pretty broad spectrum of what what fits in that definition. As far as what I personally like to use is, uh, or my favorite improvised weapon would be a tactical flashlight. The reason why is because, number one, they're very small and compact, very easy to carry. So if something's easy to carry, the likelihood is you're going to do it. It's very practical and far as places I could take it. Uh, I could board airplanes. I could travel across borders into other countries. And I have with a, a flashlight like that. And I've never caught any static from it. Um, the illumination obviously is the, the primary reason why this thing was created. So, um, it helps you see, uh, when it's dark, but primarily the thing is it, they're hard, they're, they're solid and they make a great impact weapon, especially if you know what you're doing and how to use it. Our favorite one that I, that I like is the Streamlight Protac 1L. Uh, I used to use a 2L. Uh, which is also uh, super good, but the 1L uh, I got dialed into. Uh, Alex uh, dialed me into that one, and I really like it even better than the 2L um, because it's smaller. And at first, I didn't think with my gorilla hands that I was gonna be all that into it and find it that useful. But after using it for a little bit, I actually prefer it. It's it's long enough uh that you can use it for an impact weapon but it's even smaller than the 2l so it's just even it's much easier and convenient to carry and the 2l was convenient to carry too but this one the the 1l is even better so streamlight protac 1l that's my go-to and uh for full disclosure i don't get if you buy one i don't have an agreement with streamlight i don't make any money off of that that's just my uh, my opinion on what i like so question number two, Woo Pig, Suey, Razorbacks. We got one from Arkansas. We got Calvin. Calvin, he wants us to discuss uh, the difference between cover and concealment. So just a quick down and dirty on cover and concealment. This could be its own podcast, and maybe maybe we'll do one if you guys want us to on that. But the difference between cover and concealment is concealment hides you from bullets and cover stops bullets. Uh, that's the rule of thumb. Uh, what is an example of concealment? So concealment could be fog. It could be uh, smoke, you know, anything that's going to obscure the, the threat's vision of you, even hiding behind bush and foliage behind trees, it, you know, anything, any, any kind of solid cover. Um, or solid cover, any type of solid uh, object that will obscure the vision of the threat. Cover is something that will stop bullets. But that's just kind of a rule of thumb. It really depends on what type of ballistics that are being used against you, right? I mean, the difference between a twenty-two long rifle and a fifty caliber. So it, it really just depends. So Cover, as a rule of thumb, will stop bullets. And one other thing to remember about cover, depending on what it is you're hiding behind, um, cover can degrade. The more that it's shot, right, the ballistic protection it affords you can denigrate. And so maybe maybe it protects you from a few rounds, but then over time, um, that thing gets shot up and maybe there's less of it there or the structural integrity of whatever it is kind of degenerate. So just kind of keep that in mind. As far as what is better, um, that just really depends, right? Um, if your purpose is to stay hidden from the enemy, you know that might be a better thing for you. I'm thinking about in terms of an active shooter or something in public, especially if there's multiple assailants or there may be another assailant. You're not sure where it's from. Uh, concealment, if cover's not a available might actually be your best bet if you're hidden to where you're not drawing his attention to you that might be something that you want versus cover where maybe he knows you're there and uh, while you're protected from his bullets if he maneuvers if he can find you and fix you and then maneuver on you he can finish you even though at one time you were you were protected by the cover and we've got uh, examples of that, unfortunately, in uh, law enforcement police shootings where uh, police officers have moved to cover as they've been taught and they've stayed there too long and the threat was able to maneuver on them and then all of a sudden that their cover is um, yeah, due to the, the angle of attack from the threat, it no longer provides protection for them. And and unfortunately, they met their end there. So those are just things to think about. Again, we could do a whole podcast on this one, but it's a good question. Moving on to our third and final one for this episode. This one comes to us from Chris from Arizona. Chris also runs uh, his Instagram handle under desert underscore guardian. I think he's a a PewTuber of of sorts that does some gear reviews. He's got a pretty good uh, social media presence, so check him out when you get a chance. He asked about the if we would just talk about the COVID and the run on firearms and ammo. So everybody's hurting on ammo. Um, I don't pretend to know or anything more than anyone else. Uh, or have a crystal ball on this stuff. But I do have a couple of friends in the manufacturing industry of ammo, and this is what I was told. So take it for what it's worth. Uh, part of it was the election. Normally, that's always going to happen when you've got a, a run up between one party that's perceived as pro gun and one that's not. You know, there's that fear that if the other side wins, then we're all going to be in deep trouble. So there was the election. Uh, you had people hoarding and, and driving up the prices there. That's normal. That always happens. That happened back in 2016. The thing that was not normal, or I should say atypical, were the other things that we had going on at the same time. So We had riots all over the country, and we had concern, so um, we had folks buying up more ammo, outfitting themselves, but also we had... I saw one report that said as many as 6 million new gun owners, so not just people going out and buying more guns, people who had no guns that were going out and buying uh, buying guns. So what else do you buy when you buy a gun? Typically, you're going to buy ammo. So think in terms of if you're a manufacturer, um, you've got you put orders down for your components, your primers, your powders, things like that. You don't just buy those like you do your groceries and make a stop every week. You usually buy those uh some a considerable time out, maybe a year, maybe even more, uh when you're forecasting your contracts and how much you're going to buy, and you're not going to you're not going to purchase more components than you think you can sell. So you're going to go off prior years. And so what happens when an anomaly occurs? like that, where you've got over the course of one day, uh, you've got six million new gun owners that are buying up your stuff. You can't just switch on a dime and start producing more, even if you want to, right? So we had that. The other thing, and I kind of got got ahead of myself there, was the shutdown also impacted people in the sense that they were working from home. So when the folks are working remote, They've got more flexibility in their schedule. And so some of those new gun owners wanted to go out and and shoot their guns. And when that happens, they gotta go buy more ammo. So there's more flexibility to shoot, prompting people to buy more ammo. So, you know, you just really had the perfect, perfect storm, right? Um, so then, the question comes: Well, why don't they just make more? Right? They can make more money now than they ever. So why don't you just increase capacity? Well, from what I've told, is you know, again, it's not that simple. That it's not just we're going to make more. It's that they can't get the primers, the um, they can't get the 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 components that they need uh, so easily because everybody's trying to buy those up to to make as much as they can, and also that they're hesitant to increase capacity, because they did that, if you recall, back in 2016 when we had a run on MO, not as severe as it is today, but they did. Some of these manufacturers did, and they kind of got, I don't know what the phrase is, they got their nose over their skis or something like that, Um, and, and they had problems of creating too much and having an excess and then basically having to have fire sales, which was good for the consumer. I mean, but bad for the manufacturer. So because of that, they've already got burned. They're not going to sign up for that again. So based on what I was told, my info is that you, you're going to have to wait till uh, at the at the minimum summer of 2021 before things even start to kind of uh, ease up and and get back to normal. And then, of course, that all depends on what the current administration does too. Um it's not looking good, but that's, that's, that's my take on it uh, based on the information I got. So go, thank you for sending your questions in. Go ahead and send some more. Uh, if you have questions or comments, uh, just send your name. And also, if you'd like, I'd appreciate it if you send your state um, and your question or comment to info at com. That's info at com. We appreciate you listening to this episode of Pearl Snap Tactical. Until next time, y'all stay sharp out there.